0: Welcome back to the airport, everyone. Uh, It is currently Halloween, uh as I film this that won't be by the time you're listening to this I promise no spooky behaviour on this episode Uh, we're going to get straight to the news Uh, it's been somewhat refreshingly different week this week we had the launch of uh, Angela Kelly's book on the Queen Uh, this is a new book written by the Queen's right hand woman and dresser of 25 years painting perhaps one of the most intimate portraits of Her Majesty that we've seen today some really funny stories in that Book, and I'm going to be joined by a guest here to go through it. Lizzie Robinson, you may know her from the Royal Beach. She's ITV's royal producer here in the UK. Uh, We've been on a lot of tours together, um, experienced some very uh, unusual royal situations, and we'll be talking a little bit about that uh, shortly. Before then, the. Duchess of Cornwall, Camilla has had a busy week of her own. She was at an East London social enterprise earlier this week, uh, taking pictures with some cute babies, uh, but also getting down to some serious work. Uh, It's a school, the Mulberry School for Girls in Whitechapel, one of the most deprived areas of London, uh, and the school itself is working to encourage students to tackle issues based on gender. Uh, The Duchess, who's president of the Women of the World Festival, uh, was there um, and praised for her belief in justice for girls and women by its founder during the visit. Uh, It's great to see her focused on these initiatives. We often talk about uh, the Duchess of Sussex's focus on gender equality and women's issues, but uh, Camilla herself is very active in this area too, um, and it's great to see the women of the royal family championing that uh, as much as the men do as well earlier this week we also had harry at the launch for the invictus games uh, meeting team uk for the first time I was there uh, with Harry um, to hear some of the stories. Uh, it was a really, really fun day. Uh, good to see him sort of bouncing back, I guess, after the heavy week following the recent documentary they did in Southern Africa. And then William and Kate are on midterm break with the kids. So no engagements from them, but we'll be having a little look into what they get up to when they're not at work and with the children at Anne Mahal, away from Kensington Palace. So Lizzie welcome to the show
1: hello thank you for having me
0: i feel like we've been meaning to do this for a while <laughs> yes
1: a long time
0: uh i introd lizzie before we cut to this but lizzie's been covering the raw beat for how many years now
1: um probably about two and a half years but
0: it feels like a lifetime we yeah have... a
1: lot has happened definitely in the last year it's been a very very busy year um and it's a great time to be covering the job really
0: and we've kind of been on the road together in many different situations on the Royal Tours and overseas visits. Most corners of the planet by now, <laughs> more tours coming up. Um, it's I think the Royal Bubble is quite unique. I, I often compare it to like being in the White House press pool or something like that, whereas there's really just sort of 15 or so faces that are regularly part of what goes on. The network that you're with in the UK, ITV, is part of the Royal Rota, so you're with the Royals side by side in their shadows a lot of the time. Is it something that you still find quite surreal?
1: Uh, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think you know when you're when you're traveling with them and sort of on their plane, and I think it, to a degree it has become more normal but then you sort of talk about it with people that aren't part of this world and you realize actually that it is quite a surreal thing to be part of still.
0: Yes I think every now and then when you're telling someone the stories I was actually with a friend recently and they'd asked me if I'd ever met any of the royal children and I was like well Prince George has actually dribbled on me (laughs) before and (laughs) when you say something like that you realize that you were in such a unique bubble.
1: Yeah yeah and and, you know it's we're, we're very lucky to be able to cover them you know, see them up up close when they're, when they're working on on tours and things. It, it is a bit like being on a school trip sometimes when we're all on the buses
0: together. And <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's very rare that people get to see behind the palace walls and what goes on behind the scenes. But this week, the world has had that opportunity with the Queen, uh, her right-hand woman and dresser of 25 years. Angela Kelly has painted probably the most intimate portrait we've had of Her Majesty ever. Uh, in the release of her book, uh, "The Other Side of the Coin: The Queen, the Dresser, and the Wardrobe," which was released by Harper Collins this week, uh, the book uh, came with the blessing from the Queen. So, this are, these are Angela's stories, but from working with the Queen very closely on a daily basis, sharing an insight into their extraordinary bond and a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes photographs. Have you had a chance to digest this mammoth? biography autobiography i think so,
1: I think, so. And I think what's what you really get a sense of here is not only their sort of close working relationship over 25 years but also the sense of a friendship that's that's emerged from this uh, relationship they've had and you know she talks in the the opening of the book about uh you know that she's how how she'll always cherish the time that she's had with the queen and the friendship that the Queen has shown her. So I think there is a real bond between the pair of them. And, you know, being being allowed to write this book, you know, I think that shows a real trust in Angela Kelly. And there is, you know, there's dozens of really lovely anecdotes in here that they've been sort of in the press all week Um you know, from how how they keep the hat for Royal Ascot a secret, how they uh you know, how she Oh I
0: didn't catch either. that one. How how do they keep it a secret?
1: Uh well they uh they, right up until the last moment she she displays four or five different hats uh in the dressing room or uh, in the in the workroom on the morning of Royal Ascot. So if anyone sees the hats they have no idea which one it is. And um Th- those are all hats that have been previously worn, and then she agrees a time with the bookmakers when a uh, betting must close, and at that point the uh, the hat is is exactly uh, released to the queen for,
0: for listeners that aren't aware of this tradition in the uk it's quite popular to bet on what the queen will be wearing at ascot particularly her hat
1: yeah it's a hugely popular bet you know um,
0: and a lot of money's actually made on the day off for those that get it right um so that's why it's so important to keep it a secret one of my favorite things from the book was uh we've often heard that it's usually a member of staff that helps wear in the queen's shoes but angela kelly revealed in the book that it's herself and she says that the queen has so little time to really ever get to wear her clothes that she wants them to be comfortable when she puts them on and herself uh, Angela and Her Majesty are both the same shoe size so she'll often wander around Buckingham Palace uh, or in the working quarters in the queen's heels she just
1: says it makes the most sense to do it that way which (laughs) you know probably does
0: (laughs) I think it was really sweet to get this portrait of just how close they are as you say as friends I remember an anecdote one of the palace courtiers gave me a few years ago about you know when Angela and the Queen are working together because you can hear the laughter from down the hallway and that's just very much what they're like together and I think this book really shows the Queen's humorous side. We heard about some of the practical jokes that Angela Kelly's played on Her Majesty and uh, I think just being a nice nice chance to actually see see a side of the Queen that we don't get very often.
1: And also I mean you know most most people think of the queen and you can't just pop in and see the queen but Angela Kelly tells this story about the, uh, when they're asked about the Olympic opening ceremony and the Queen's involvement, Angela says, oh, I'll, I'll just go and ask the Queen, you know, whether she would like a <laughs> speaking role, and off she goes to just ask her. And I think that shows a real kind of, you know, th- she's very comfortable around her, and obviously the Queen's very comfortable having her around. And, of course, the Queen did want the speaking role, and uh, and she did say that she wanted to say, good evening, Mr Bond, rather than good evening, James.
0: Yeah, <laughs> which I think for the, for the director of that... Uh, 2012 uh, Olympic ceremony opening sketch, Uh, Danny Boyle, He was quite taken aback that the Queen actually genuinely wanted to be a part of it. I think the book also shone a light on just, I guess how spendthrift the Queen can be as well. We've already heard stories over the years of how she cuts costs uh, when sort of when basing herself at Buckingham Palace, because it's a huge place. Uh, Angela revealed that she only spends time really in six rooms, of Buckingham Palace, partly to keep the cost down, but also because she likes it to be cosy. There was another story that Angela shared from a tour that they went on in Singapore and how it's always sort of a bit of a tradition when they're over there to pick up fabrics uh, to work with back in the UK to make outfits from and Angela said that it was important for the Queen to uh, take advantage of the fact that you could tax-free shop there <laughs> and get your tax back at the airport so before the royal plane left Angela was stuck at the terminal desperately trying to get the the, the, the the little extra money back for the Queen for her purse and I think that gives an insight into just how seriously she does take this job and she's aware of how much they spend and behind the scenes as well as publicly she always makes such a conscious effort to... Yeah, there
1: was another story when they were talking again about the replica of the royal christening gown um, when when she came to, to recreate that the first quote she had for some fabric was she said, you know vastly expensive and therefore decided that it would probably be too much because the Queen is really conscious about costs so I think that is a theme that you get to see throughout And
0: Yeah, this is the christening gown that... Uh, louis george and charlotte yeah wore, yeah it was uh, first worn and by
1: james viscount seven in 2008 and uh, so the lady louise was the last one to wear it and after that angela said to the queen that you know that that it was it was aging and that in order to protect it they probably needed to do something about it and the queen went away and thought about it and asked angela to create a new one um, so that was.
0: That and that was new one was made in quite an unconventional way because there's a particular colour to that fabric. Yeah. I think it's a, a Toynton or Toynton lace. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My memory from uh, christenings quickly wipes out afterwards once I reemerge. But uh, they had to get that colour, uh, they actually dipped it or dyed it in tea.
1: In Yorkshire tea, which for those of you in America, Yorkshire is is uh, up north for us, and uh, it's a very uh, famous kind of tea. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a lovely story that they to imagine them sort of picking the christ the christening gown in tea.
0: It's really unlikely that we get a book like this really on any of the royals. Why do you think this has happened now?
1: It's a good question. Now is sort of funny timing, really, but um, I think you know 25 years it's it's quite a long time that she's been working with her it's sort of mm. almost an anniversary maybe and a, a nice time for her to to put this book together with the queen's involvement and support and able able to show the queen you know the the work that she's done
0: it's been interesting that with this book there has been very little promo the mm-hmm. stories from inside the book have really sold all the copies uh, but Angela herself has remained silent she hasn't done any press she hasn't done any interviews
1: which I suppose we probably shouldn't be surprised about Angela still as serving member of the household and and as such probably wouldn't want to be opened up to interviews so she's she's put the book out that's got a lot of press coverage from the stories and she's also done an audio version of the book where she's read it but um, other than that there'll be no no interviews with her that I'm aware of.
0: It's a relationship that will continue for many years. And I think quite rare that really for anyone to be working in the household for that long.
1: And actually, before before Angela and the Queen even worked together, they the Queen liked Angela so much because of her ability to keep a secret. They, they say in the book that she was working uh, when the Queen first met her for the British ambassador to Germany. And uh, the Queen visited Berlin in 1992. And I think she asked Angela... Uh, who they were expecting as their next guests at the residence and uh and Angela replied that the the information was was confidential and that she couldn't tell her and so that <laughs> <laughs> I think uh uh the Duke said, you know surely you can tell her Majesty the queen and, and she couldn't because she'd signed the official secrets act and uh you know a few weeks later uh, Angela was approached by the Queen about working for her as her assistant dresser, so obviously that ability to be trusted formed even before Mm -hmm. they kind of started properly working together
0: they're a surprising duo because Angela comes from quite humble beginnings Uh, she is the daughter of a dock worker in Liverpool very much a sort of blue collar family that she came from and, and sort of climbed her own ladder in terms of sort of getting as far as she has today There's obviously a lot of cultural differences between herself and the Queen. One thing she mentioned in the book was how she'd actually suggested to the Queen that she takes elocution lessons to, I guess, appear more like uh, everyone else (laughs) working in the household. And the Queen said, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been quite nice, I think, this week just to have a break from the kind of day-to-day royal news agenda. It has been a somewhat heavy month.
1: It's been very well yeah very heavy month so it's sort of a lovely yeah you're right a lovely break and lots of lovely anecdotes and worth a read if you're interested in you know or the royal family or the queen's fashion it's it's very nice
0: yeah i must admit it was quite nice i was uh doing tv earlier in the week and i was talking about the queen stretching out her shoes and i was like this is nice no drama (laughs) at all (laughs) a simpler time for now (laughs) Uh, we had a bit of a throwback with Harry this week because we saw him back in his kind of Invictus hat for the launch of Team UK. You and I were both there in London at the Honourable Artillery Company in central London. Uh, for the. F- it was the first time that the team for Invictus Games, uh, taking place in The Hague next May, got together for their group photo. I think a nice moment for Harry. He loves these engagements. I think this is when he's kind of at his element.
1: Yeah, this was Harry. Harry looked really happy. He was having lots of banter with the um, the team. He spent a lot of time uh, meeting them all. sixty 65 uh, competitors have been picked for Team UK to compete in The Hague next May. Um, and he he looks really comfortable in this environment and really like at his best he, mm. he really wanted to be there and he 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 seemed really happy yeah um so it was it was a great engagement and they're always you know the, the people that compete in these games um this will be my third Invictus games and the stories are always amazing uh when you talk to the people competing
0: yeah it's very humbling I, I've been going to Invictus actually since the first one in London in 20 20- 14? Yeah,
1: 2014.
0: It's gone by very quickly <laughs> and I remember how small it was. It just Most of it took place at the Copper Box Arena which is part of the Olympic Village in East London. Um, not met very many people uh, there in attendance. It was mostly supporters and family members uh, and then to see it grow to Florida at the ESPN Centre a couple of years later and now at The Hague next year. I think this team... What's interesting is actually usually a lot of familiar faces, but almost, I think, 90% yeah. of the team are new faces. Yeah, which... I
1: think only seven of the faces have competed in Sydney last year. I think that was a year ago. Uh, so, yeah, of the, the 65 members of the team, it's it's mainly new faces, which is great. It shows that it is still helping people. And I think for a lot of people that have competed in the games before, they often say, you know, it's done what I needed it to do for me, I now want to kind of give up my space and allow it to, to help somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have described these games as life-changing for them, um, the, you know, giving them something to focus on. So it is. it's a real good, feel-good event.
0: It is. And life-changing for the families of the... Uh, currently serving military servicemen and women and veterans that take part in this because, of course, it's not just uh, these guys that kind of come away from uh, time serving uh, with physical or invisible injuries. It's the family as well that gets affected too. So I think this really brings together and unifies families who have gone through a lot uh, after serving their country. And yeah as you say it's it's the one time I think Harry just is totally himself there's no one bowing to him or calling him sir he likes just being sort of one of their friends It's
1: that kind of I don't know army camaraderie really he's yeah. sort of he just looks like he's really at home in those kind of events and you know there was there was a funny moment where one of the lots of them wanted to have group photographs with him, and he was really up for doing that. And and one of the uh, RAF veterans put, put her arm around him and, and sort of giggled <laughs> and said, "I think I've just, uh, I think my hands on Prince Harry's bottom." And he he just found it really funny. He, yeah, uh, it, it was just you know, it, there was no airs and graces at all about the event. It was it was nice.
0: Exactly. He just wants people to feel comfortable. I had a chat with the, the girl that you were referring to, yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay Kelly. Yeah. Uh, from Oxford she um, had was it's her first time taking part in the Invictus Games but she had just done the Warrior Games in the US and Florida Um, this was after I think she took part in the swimming competition she only learned how to swim last fall and so that the journey that she's been on has been so quick but it's she actually spoke to me about how she'd suffered for a number of years from mental health problems uh, and the Invictus Games and the Warrior Games had really sort of pulled her through that. I think for Harry, it's really important for him to come to these things and hear the stories of those people taking part. I remember having a conversation with one of the Palisades and they said that whenever there are press releases put out for the Invictus Games, uh, particularly by uh, the Royal Household, Harry's very particular about not having his name all over the top of the press release and that he his comment is like can you not just bury me down like it's not about me it's about these guys and you really get a sense of that when you're at the engagement
1: I think undoubtedly though you know having Prince Harry's name attached to this really <laughs> does give it profile and it, it really has you know highlighted uh the games so I think you know without him it it probably wouldn't he you know he should probably take pride in the success it's been because of his involvement
0: yeah I think a lot of people have asked or or wondered every games you know is this going to be the last time that Harry's going to be so front and center at the games but I think he realizes and so do the organizers that he is kind of top of the bill when it comes to that draw of public interest I don't think we would have seen a sporting event for wounded military men and women uh, on such a public stage I mean we saw it you know it was on ESPN mm-hmm. in Florida prime-time coverage and we wouldn't see moments like that if it wasn't for Prince Harry so I think that's why he stays so involved and the training will continue over the months ahead I think between now and May, May in different parts of the country yeah. and I think we'll we will see Harry pop up at different training events just to check in on everyone
1: and then hopefully we'll see him I'm sure we'll see him in The Hague next May. Definitely, <laughs>
0: definitely. We've got the first female captain we do. for in Invictus this year as well.
1: Rachel Williamson. Uh, she's, a, she's an RAF veteran. Um, but yeah, first female in five years so yeah that's great
0: it is it's awesome I think she was very very proud of that achievement as well she had taken play uh taken part in the games last year but wanted to sort of test her abilities uh one step further this year and Harry pulled her aside during the engagement just to give her a little bit of a pep talk and said that you know it's your job to keep everyone's spirits up but also just be damn proud of yourself for what you've achieved in this time and he sort of said you know go go the girls as well because I think there are 15 women in this team a female captain so it's become quite a diverse event
1: and she said yeah she said that she wants to be and you know having competed in Sydney last year she said that you know she wants to be a real mentor to this team and kind of pass any knowledge or experience on to them which is really lovely
0: now, while we saw Harry this week, we haven't seen much of the Cambridges for almost two weeks now yeah, by the so time we record this. we got back this. from
1: Pakistan, uh, t- well, two weeks ago on Friday, so two weeks tomorrow we got back from Pakistan. And yeah, they've, they've taken some time off um, while it's been half term to have some downtime with the children while they're off, off from school.
0: It's like full-time mom and dad mode. Uh, it's midterm at the schools here in the UK. I think Charlotte and George both get two weeks off. And so they've been outside of London, staying in Anmer, uh, doing the usual family stuff. I believe that Carol and Michael have been up to visit, and Kate was spotted prepping for today Perfect. of all days. Actually, prepping for Halloween. <laughs>
1: yeah, she was spotted uh, kind of very low key at a at a supermarket buying buying things for Halloween. So, but we know that when they're at Anmer in Norfolk, they you know they love being out in the country, out of London. They feel very at home there. Um, they lived there for for number of years and um, I think you know it's the chance for them to be you know normal as it were you know for Kate to be able to go to the supermarket and um, them, them have a little bit of normality
0: yeah I think their life over there is very different to when they're sort of on the clock here in London uh, Kate will I remember years ago she would go to a local gardening centre with George and treat him to a slice of cake and it was just normal things that you would do with your parents as a kid on the weekend and I think that's what Amma's all about it's all about their time together as a family
1: and we know they love being outdoors and Kate particularly is a big believer in uh, you know children spending a lot of time outdoors for physical and mental health and we know that they get the chance to do that at Amma they have a huge grounds to play in and um, they get get that opportunity there yeah, probably more than in London
0: definitely they seem to have really found that balance of work life as parents could be quite difficult particularly as full-time members, working members of the royal family this will probably be the most time that they have off really between now and Christmas I know that Kate's gearing up to really go deep into her early years development projects uh, and I projects. think we'll
1: see a lot of them we have Remembrance Sunday here we'll see a lot of engagements around that where we'll see both of them Um, taking part in a lot of the engagements.
0: Yes, no announcement from the Palace yet uh, but there are three days of engagements around Remembrance Day in the UK and uh, we expect that the Cambridges and the Sussexes will be side by side for all of them. So I think, again, nice to see everyone come together. It's been a year of conversations about divisions in the Royal Family and so much that we could really turn into a whole episode right now but i think at the core of it this is what matters it's everyone coming together in their roles as working members of the royal family
1: yeah and, and putting whatever there is aside to to you know pay tribute to uh those that we're remembering on on remembrance sunday
0: yeah and william i believe later this year has an upcoming trip Um, I understand that Palace staff are currently doing recon (laughs) somewhere in the world. So we might see William uh, away on solo travels, which would be very interesting.
1: Yeah, we haven't had any details of that yet, but um, I'm sure...
0: Mm, watch, sure this we'll get, space. watch
1: this space yeah uh,
0: well one person who's really been able to enjoy the silence uh, from the younger members of the royal family this week we've had just one engagement from harry none from the cambridges is prince charles uh, who has had somewhat of a success with his itv series here in the uk prince charles inside the duchy of cornwall which takes a closer look at the acres i can't even remember the number. Thousands of acres.
1: 130,000 acres across <laughs> 23 counties. <laughs> That's a
0: lot of farmland. That
1: is a lot. Uh, it's a lot employing lot of yeah.
0: hundreds, if not thousands, of people across the country, but also a huge business in itself, providing produce mm-hmm. to some of the biggest uh, supermarkets in the UK and uh, across the sort of service and restaurant industry as well but yeah. it's been a really interesting insight because this is how charles makes his money
1: it is it's, so it's, it was made the two part series was made because it's to celebrate really the 50th working year for charles as duke of cornwall which is his his uh, one of his other titles and it's you know him overseeing the duchy of cornwall estate which was initially established or was established to provide an income to the heir to the throne and his family. And by family, we're talking about the Cambridges, the Sussexes. It's where they, uh, where a lot of their funds come from. But I think the documentary showed, you know, it, the business side of the duchy, but also kind of reflected Charles's, maybe his social and environmental values across mm. the documentary, what he really cares about.
0: And this is something that at some point he'll be passing over to Prince William when he becomes uh, the king. He'll be passing over the Duke of Cornwall to William and he will then take over the duchy. Uh, What I find very interesting about that, and obviously this isn't really highlighted in the documentary, but as we know, Charles is the gatekeeper to the funds when William and Harry need money for something that isn't covered by uh, the sort of purse That the royals have access to Charles will be the one that picks up the tab but at some point William will take over that and it will be interesting to see how that affects the other well I guess the Sussexes because of course William will then be in charge of a lot of the money for them but William I think spoke about how important it will be for him to take over that role at some point
1: yeah I think both both Charles and William talk in in the documentary about william's role in the future and uh, you know charles says that he's quite lucky in a sense because when he took it over he was only 21 and it was sort of a bit of a baptism of fire he was thrown into it whereas Mm. for william he's had the chance you know he's taken time he's visiting different parts of the duchy he's getting to understand how it's working learn how how it all operates and and what was interesting is he said that when he takes over he's not planning on rocking the boat and he he plans to do much the same as his father's been doing with it. So he's he's using this time he has to, to really understand how the duchy works which I thought was quite interesting.
0: Very interesting. There's no word on an air date in the US uh, but it has been a bit of a runaway success here in the UK so I can't mm. imagine it will be long.
1: And there's lovely lovely details about you know because of course one day Prince George will inherit it as well because yeah. it, it will go down to Prince George and we see you know William talking about, uh, you know how how um, George really loves tractors and he would love to have been there on one of the visits. <laughs> so there's, there's nice details like that in it as well.
0: It's quite surreal to think that there is already people thinking about where those kids will be at some point and what their responsibilities will be. Yeah quite a life quite a life lizzie it's been a pleasure it's been lovely being here thank, thank you, you for, for having coming me. in to chew the royal fat <laughs> with me <laughs> after the break i'm going to be talking with holly lynch the british politician whose open letter to the duchess of sussex uh, condemning the negative attacks on the british press had the whole country talking now earlier this week 72 british female politicians signed a letter in solidarity with Duchess Meghan for taking a stand against media coverage, negative media coverage of her and her family. Uh, British Labour politician Holly Lynch, who's a member of Parliament, uh, wrote a letter that she had signed by 71 other women criticising the tone of recent stories in the British press, calling them outdated, colonial and condemning them for invading her privacy. Uh, she talks about how that these problems cannot go unchallenged uh, and she wants the whole world to take note of this particularly the British tabloids. Solly welcome to the show what a week it's been.
2: Yes, lots happening in politics here in the UK.
0: Yes, uh and and just to add another layer to it, uh the open letter that you released in solidarity uh for Duchess Meghan uh pretty much had the whole world talking, uh, quite a reaction. Uh how did how did the letter come about?
2: Just with uh predominantly other women MPs here in Westminster. We were increasingly concerned, following some of the news coverage and the articles about the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, that there was um, undertones to it that actually were, were encroaching on xenophobic, that because she is not British, she's an outsider, that we are not sure that we trust her, that we don't like that. And actually, some of those articles were really starting to become quite toxic unhealthy and as I say um, xenophobic on occasion Mm. we decided that as women MPs it was the right time for us to make an intervention on this um, to stand with Megan in solidarity by sending her an open letter just to let her know that she was right to call it out and that we agree and we will do the same alongside her but it was also as a warning shot really to those uh, newspaper editors and journalists who engaged in that type of journalism to just say right, we see what you're doing and enough's enough. We want you to change the way that you're approaching, covering information about her as a member of the royal family um, and want that to change for the better and be much healthier in the future.
0: Mm. And you sent a copy to the Duchess herself, but it also went out publicly on social media. Uh, You say that this was sort of almost as a warning signal to those that have engaged in this type of coverage. Was that the intent for sort of putting it out there on such a public platform?
2: Yes, it was. We did want her to know directly um, that we stood with her in solidarity, that we were there as some moral support. But um, we also knew that there was a public element to this. Actually, those who needed to change their behaviour wouldn't have known what was going on had we just sent this to her privately. Yeah. So we did send the letter to her directly, but yeah, we published it for that reason. So that those that need to, to change the way they're conducting themselves and publishing the articles that they are, publishing could see um, that we were calling them out on it and that enough was enough.
0: Mm. Were you expecting such a strong reaction or such an immediate reaction?
2: I don't think I was. Uh, And as we've already said, there's an awful lot happening in in British politics this week. Um, But this is something that MPs of all backgrounds of all political persuasions had come together to do. Um, So we felt that there was a risk that it was going to be uh, overshadowed um, amongst everything else that's going on. But actually, it's cut right across politics and it's cut across the, the chaos of Brexit and everything else that's going on. And people just said, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Um, and the uh, response has been overwhelming that, yeah, this is positive. This is women standing together, mm. trying to create the change that we all want to see, which has been great.
0: Uh, And the contents of that letter were, of course, heard loud and clear by Buckingham Palace, by the Sussexes. You heard from the Duchess herself uh, just a day after posting that letter. Can you tell us a bit about that conversation?
2: Yeah, I did. So it was a very welcome surprise. Um, Just a a normal day the following day, uh, just getting some breakfast in the House of Commons. um, (laughs) And actually I received a phone call from an anonymous number. And it was a lady who said she was from Buckingham Palace and could I hold to speak to the Duchess of Sussex. Um, So, yeah, very very surprised to to receive that that phone call Um, almost straight away. uh, And that the Duchess had gone to the trouble of of making that phone call personally just to uh, pass on her thanks that she did appreciate the gesture um, and to pass on thanks to the other women MPs who had signed it. So, yeah, that was a really nice conversation, a, a surprise to receive that call.
0: Uh, And you've been a Member of Parliament since 2015. Uh, The letter refers to what women in the public eye uh, face when it comes to uh, media coverage. They often face more criticism, uh, more negativity than men. Uh, Is that something you've experienced yourself as well?
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, um, we are going through a fairly turbulent period, I think politically almost across the world. And it does seem that those elected representatives who do get into politics to really try and, and sort problems out, make a difference, because they feel strongly and passionately about the communities that they serve. But inevitably, not everybody agrees with you. And it seems that we are losing that safe space for people to be able to uh, have differences of opinion um, and share those in a respectful Where, uh, yeah, far too often I, other women, female colleagues are on the receiving end of what is um, more abuse, more intimidation rather than a difference of opinion. Uh, I am sorry that some of my colleagues are standing down at this upcoming general election because actually they're just not prepared to to put up with that anymore. And that is a real shame. Uh, I think democracy is precious and we've got to look after it. But this letter is part of just that movement of standing together to say, come on, we don't like this, but actually we're also empowered to try and do something about it and to change it. So, yeah, it's all really been a part of that movement.
0: Absolutely. I think for a lot of people, they may uh, not have perhaps noticed uh, just uh, sort of the level of undertones that have been in some of the coverage. One of the things that I got asked the most on social media were for examples of some of this coverage. And To be honest, they come to mind very easily. We've seen Megan called straight out of Compton. She's been told to fly away home. Uh, Her family's been referred to as upwardly mobile cotton pickers. There have been negative comments made about her mother's dreadlocks. She herself has been called too loud, too difficult, too different. Is this stuff that stood out to you the whole time?
2: Yes, it is. It's it's appalling um, and it shouldn't be tolerated. And it's just become... Um, something that we've seen far too often, it's been almost daily, actually, over a period of time. We sometimes, I think, could be guilty of thinking, because they are members of the royal family, they're in a fairly privileged position, and they must have the advice and the resources to be able to manage this. But actually, no, they are human beings, uh, they're new parents, and nobody should be subject to this. And you could see in some of the uh, recent statements that have been made by both Prince Harry and the Duchess that this is starting to affect them in a very personal way. That was the point at which we, as members of Parliament, said we've got to make an intervention here. Uh, This isn't right and we shouldn't uh, at all be prepared to allow this to continue and to go unchallenged. Um, I'm a a fairly new mum. Myself, lots of women MPs, as we've already discussed, are going through... Uh, Not dissimilar experiences of being women in the public eye. So we did just want to stand with her, let her know that she's not alone in this um, and that she's got support to challenge it.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, the couple themselves are sort of in the middle of sort of two or three future legal battles uh, with three different newspapers in the UK. In Harry's statement when they confirmed that these legal claims had been filed, he said that they needed as much help and support as possible. Do you think that this letter will sort of go to see change for them in terms of the coverage here in the UK?
2: Yes, I hope so. And there's probably two distinct things here where Harry is engaged in a legal challenge. Um there may have been uh, there may have been illegal practices, which I imagine is what's being debated through the courts um we are talking about the nature of the uh, articles which are probably just very distasteful as far as mm, we're concerned mm. so there's those two elements to it what is um appropriate legal practice in the way newspapers conduct themselves, but then beyond that what is really in the public interest and what is tasteful. Um, Where I'm afraid it is, it is verging into being xenophobic, where it is um, blatantly misogynistic, which uh, some of the examples that you've already raised, come on, that's not what we want to see in our national press. We can do so much better than that. So yeah, that's the sort of stuff that we are really trying to challenge and just say you've got to think about moderating the types of narrative articles, headlines that are featuring almost daily in our newspapers.
0: The, the letter refers to uh as, as a collective uh, sort of turning to the means at your disposal uh, if things don't change how could things look if things don't change
2: So there is um, an appetite across Westminster to engage in um, Leveson Part 2 following the Leveson Inquiry into some of the scandals and sleaze that was unfolding at times in the press and in some of our national newspapers. That would look to go further than some of the reforms that were introduced as part of that inquiry. But as I say, we are lawmakers, so whilst we might not be happy with some of the abuse and intimidation that we're subject to, whether that's on social media, but then also really negative, distasteful, um, almost unhealthy articles in some of our national press. We are lawmakers, so we could go further to look at does there need to be tighter regulation, does there need to be more legislation around what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in the public discourse and in our printed media. So yeah, I do hope that this open letter is just the first step in terms of asking those politely to moderate their behavior and the types of articles they're publishing but there is just then that that sense that if that doesn't happen we can explore all of those ways of making sure that it does
0: Mm, a very powerful statement holly thank you so much for joining me best of luck for the weeks ahead
2: thank you ever so much
0: bye well i think that just about wraps us up guys thank you again for all the nice comments uh the AirPod hashtag on Twitter seems to be nice and busy. I've really enjoying getting your questions. Actually going to put together a bit of a Q&A special in a forthcoming episode. So if you have burning royal questions, send them in. I'm going to be joined by some guests breaking down the answers to those for you next week we've got uh, prince william back at work we also have the duke and duchess of sussex new engagements to be announced for remembrance week Uh, there'll be three engagements that they're involved in we'll see them side by side possibly their last engagements before they take a much deserved break the two of them and baby archie will be heading off to the u.s later this month for archie's first thanksgiving and I think just some time away from work. The two of them have been nonstop, really, since they got married. And I think it'll be a time for them really just to sort of switch off and unwind. I'm told by palace aides that they may be back and forth to the UK. Uh, of course, Archie will probably stay in one place. But Harry does have a lot of work going on. I think there had been some talk about Prince Harry actually going to the US to spend some time with Oprah on this forthcoming Apple Plus mental health documentary, but sources tell me that those meetings have actually been taking place here in London. Oprah was here quite recently uh, for a meeting with the creative team of the series, uh, which Harry joined. Uh, so a lot of that's still going on behind the scenes. There are a couple that never stop working, uh, much like us that cover the Royal Beats, uh, until the next episode, guys, uh, do send in all of your tweets to @scoby. Use the hashtag #theAirPod, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, guys.